also not only in the church, but thankfully because of the influence of the gospel in our own land, there is a certain national liturgy as well. And we might complain, and rightly so, about the commercialization of Christmas. Some Christians have even opposed Christmas celebration altogether, while others have simply objected to the so-called corruptions of Christmas, things like Santa Claus and gift-giving and those things. And yet I think we should consider the Christmas holiday season and, and all that's led up to it in Advent from another angle. Again, it does provide a type of national liturgy or form, something that calls our attention to this most important message. This is the one time each year that, in a way, we have the ear of the nation more than any other, and no matter how hard people try to change the meaning, we keep bringing it back. They sometimes sing, uh, perhaps uh, not realizing there's an imprecatory nature to singing joy to the world, the Savior reigns. We have special Christmas services and messages to proclaim the Savior to the world. And so, let's seize the moment. Let's take this opportunity to proclaim what it meant for God to become a man. We are thankful for any occasion where we can speak of our Savior and we can point people to the Redeemer. This is an old passage, or excuse me, an odd passage in a way to expound for Advent. In some ways, it even seemed an odd thing to even include this story about Simeon and Anna in the Scriptures. It almost seems like background color to the main story about the birth and, uh, and the life of Jesus. And yet, knowing that God does not deal in idle words, uh, the closer, a closer look reveals some extremely important lessons uh, that God has given us today. Simeon and Anna provide us uh, with those lessons. In fact, there is so much to be said about this passage that we certainly will not get to all of it today. As it relates to the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and prophets, However, let's harvest some Advent Christmas fruit from these verses that our lives might be sweetened by them. Simeon and Anna are described as, devout, as a devout man and a devout woman. Even in the days of corruption in the first century Israel, there remained devout men and women, those who were faithful. They are described as Righteous, we might say godly men and women. They were the, uh, these are the men and women that God chooses to use. They include Joseph and Mary, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and of course in this text, Simeon and Anna. They were justified in their faith, justified in trusting in their hope that God would send a Savior, a Messiah. He had promised a Messiah who would bring comfort, peace, and joy. These prophecies were contained in the scriptures of the Old Testament, uh, and many of them are found, for example, in the book of Isaiah. Uh, so these devout men and women trusted God's word despite all that was going on, despite the Roman Empire, despite the corruptions that were about them and the culture that, was, that they were living in. They continued to believe, to trust God's word. 
So let's first uh, think about Sim, uh, Simeon and Anna, we're told, were both old. We're told that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he, again, had an eye of faith. God had made promises. That's what he was looking for. He was, But he was specifically promised by God that he himself would not see death until he had laid eyes on the Messiah. After seeing Christ, he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I can go now. Anna, her name means grace. She was of one of great age. And there are various ways to think about what we're told here, but if she were married early, let's say at age 14, which would have been common, and we're told was married for seven years and had been widowed for 84 years, then she might have been around 105. Very old. So what's the significance of this? A few weeks ago I preached a sermon about waiting for the Lord. And here again we see people waiting, waiting for a long time. There are two witnesses, two righteous witnesses, two credible witnesses. Not only are they witnesses, they again are devout and they have this reputation for being credible. The law teaches that by the mouth of two or three witnesses a matter shall be established, Deuteronomy 19.15. And their old age indicates at least two things. First, God brings his plan to pass in his own time. And second, faithful men and women trust in God's word to the very end. Didn't matter how old they were, they were still trusting. We tend to grow impatient with God, but his plan is right on time. Like Methuselah in the book of Genesis, the oldest man that ever lived, 969 years, His name means the death that sins. The year Methuselah died, God sent the great flood. The Bible warns us about willfully forgetting how God operates. And so we need to remember. So 2 Peter, for example, chapter 3, we read this, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking around according to their lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens of old, the earth were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So they forgot about the creation, They've forgotten about what God did with Noah and the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, same word that created, the same word that sent the flood, that same word is still ruling, and they're forgetting this. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness or slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
So I want us to notice and witness the witnessing of the Savior. Here are some details of this account. The providence of God. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 11. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful governing of all his creatures and all their actions. And if this were not true, then nothing would be certain. The purpose of God could never be accomplished. We would only have chaos and contingency, but there is no contingency with God. So God had directed all the events and all the people in the past in order to accomplish His purpose on this particular day in the temple with these two particular people. Just like the timing of the death of Christ was planned. Romans 5, 6, For when we were still without strength, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Acts 2.23, Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. So too was the timing of His birth. And the events surrounding his birth were planned, they were accomplished by God, and we know many of the details of the history of Israel. The birth and lives of Mary and Joseph, the star in the east, and billions of other details that were necessary for the birth of Christ. Part of God's story is that he preserved Simeon and Anna for this day. They might have asked. Sometimes uh, my dad and I were talking. As, as you get older, you're like, why am I still here? Well, God had a reason. God had a purpose. This particular day, there were probably many other things that Simeon and Anna did along the way that God was using as well. They were faithful servants of him. But here is this. Just as uh, Joseph and Mary walked into the temple... The Spirit led Simeon to the temple. That wasn't a coincidence. Then there's Anna, whose life events had brought her to serve in the temple day and night. And she came, we were told in the text, in that instant, in that moment, in that, in those seconds, to see and witness to the Christ child. Like Joseph, God had providentially directed every event, every event to this moment so that these two credible witnesses could testify. You recall how his brothers dealt treacherously with Joseph selling him into slavery. And I know I allude to this story often because I think it's just one of the foundational stories of the book of Genesis. How Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, sold into slavery first by his brothers, put into prison, how the butler and the baker uh, came also to the prison, but then and they heard Joseph interpret dreams, and then they forgot him. How these events, though, ultimately led Joseph to becoming second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. He was a father to Pharaoh, and of course you do recall Joseph's words to his brothers who feared for their lives. Because you hear me refer to, again, refer to this often. But as for you, Joseph said, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this day, to, on this day, to save many people alive. All of those things that happened, God was at work to bring about this conclusion. So please take a moment to consider this as well. 
God's providence has directed you personally to the Savior as well. That wasn't an accident. Even the seemingly sad or tragic events of your life, God has used them to direct you to the Savior. Perhaps this is why God recorded for us some of the details of Anna's life, the death of her husband. If you have lived to see the Messiah, then you, like Simeon and Anna, have been blessed. You, too, have become witnesses of that Savior. So how did they respond? They responded with thanksgiving because just seeing a Savior is not enough. Both Simeon and Anna Anna responded to Christ by giving thanks to God. Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. Anna gave thanks to the Lord, verse 38. People often see what God has done, but they don't give a proper response. Romans 1, 20-21 describes this. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power of the Godhead, so that they're without an excuse, because although they knew God, they saw God, they saw what God did, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. No doubt there were others in the temple that day who saw the Christ child who either didn't recognize him or who did not give thanks. We see this all around us at Advent and Christmas during the Advent and Christmas season. People everywhere acknowledging by their activities the birth of Christ. They're happy to take off from work for Christmas vacation. What is Christmas, we ask? And they know it's the celebration of the birth of Christ. There's no shortage of those who will witness the birth of Christ. Many saw him then, many have heard of him now, but few truly give thanks for who he is, the Messiah, the Savior of sinners. So what is your response to this child, to this Savior? This is, just, is this just like another birth announcement, another birthday party? Is your response sentimental or indifferent, or have you, like Simeon and Anna, burst forth in thanksgiving and praise to God for this Savior? Notice what else, though, happened. There was a proclamation that came from Simeon and Anna. And this is where I really want to focus this morning. All of life demands a response toward God and a response toward our neighbors. The summary of the law, the great commandments, requires us to love God and to love our neighbors. Any response short of this is sin. And Simeon and Anna did not stop with expressing their thanksgiving to God. They also had to tell others. Their joy couldn't be contained. This child meant more than their own personal gratification. They had to declare the truth about this child who was, who he was, and what he would do. Simeon spoke of the work and ministry of Christ in the world. He was destined 
for the fall and rising of many in Israel, verse 34. He would be for a sign which would be spoken against. Not even Mary and Joseph would be exempt from his powerful work. And the work of the Messiah would be that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So he is telling the world about Christ and what he would do. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so then Anna spoke of him, verse 38, spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, this picture, two elderly people have encountered Christ, and the next thing they do after they give thanks to God is they start telling others. Any person willing to listen, any recipient heart, Anna pointed them to Christ, the Redeemer. The good news, the gospel, must be shared with others. And so Simeon and Anna were like others who would see Jesus and receive him as Messiah. Acts 4, 18-20, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. That was the apostles. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. How could you have seen the Savior and not talk about Him? How could that be possible? Acts 5, 40 and 42, and they agreed with him, uh, the chief priest, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. What would we think of someone who saw the salvation of the Lord, even gave thanks to God for it, but never told anyone else about it? Wouldn't that be strange? And yet how many of them lay claim to having seen or heard the Christ and yet remain silent about the thing they claim to have witnessed? Could it be that they missed the significance of Christ? Or that he's little more than an odd historical figure, or worse, a fairy tale. They either fail to recognize him for who he is, or else they don't care. On a personal note, I am grateful to have my father here this morning. Um, I don't know if he's the same age as Simeon or not, but he's close. And he is one of the greatest evangelists I know. He talks to everybody about Christ. He was doing it this morning on the telephone with somebody who called to check on him. Next thing I knew, he was in a full, fully engaged talking to them about Christ and their need for Christ. And I'm thankful to have that as an example. Thank you, Dad. 
How is it that so many who claim to have met him never mention him to others? Have you met Christ? Have you seen him? Have you heard him? Do you tell your children day in and day out? Do you speak of him publicly, pointing to him and saying, here's the Redeemer? We live in a world that desperately needs a Savior. Without him, they will perish in their sins. Every man and woman must be brought to see to witness the Christ. When a person witnesses the Christ, they will respond with thanksgiving and worship. We see this again in Matthew 2, 10 and 11. When they, the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Simeon and Anna blessed God and gave thanks, and these are the only possible responses to everyone who truly sees the Messiah. Any response short of these indicates a failure to perceive who he really is, and such joy can't be contained. Having witnessed the Savior, having thanked God for this gift, we can't help but speak the things which we've seen and heard, and it will be said of us as it was said of Anna In Luke 2.38, she spoke of him to all who looked for redemption. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. We'll be singing again, as we have been, all these these four Sundays of Advent, Simeon's song. Uh, I put this text to to music a number of years ago, and we sing it each, each Advent season at the end of our service. Uh, and so that's what that is. That's why we sing that. It's a reminder of what Simeon saw and said on that day. So today, when we sing that at the close of our service, uh, I want you to remember this story. It's a really important story. There's much more to be said about other things that Simeon pointed about, about, uh, out about what Jesus would do, and I'll mention a few of those in a moment. But for now, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for, the, for your word that has preserved for us all the things we need, oftentimes the little details that we might have flown past. Your word causes us to stop and ponder. Ponder your providence, your plan, your purpose, your power, your wisdom, your love, and how all of that has changed our lives. Has it changed the lives of Simeon and Anna and others who bore witness to the Savior We are thankful that you have been pleased to reveal him to us as well. Help us, Lord, to have thankful hearts. Help us to speak up and proclaim to others the good news so that they too might be thankful to you. Lord, bless us now as we continue and come together to commune in Christ's name. Amen. Part of Simeon's prophecy about Jesus was that this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, speaking to Joseph and Mary, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. From the time of the Garden of Eden, men and women have wanted God to leave them alone. The desire to be our own God 
is powerful. If he will but concur with us, if he will approve of our opinions, then we will let him be God along with us. Otherwise, we will find God's more to our liking. The Bible is constantly pushing on us, calling for decisions. God wants us to make up our minds about him. The truth is, many simply don't trust God. He is old-fashioned. He is outdated. We, on the other hand, are modern and enlightened. What he calls evil, we call good. And at the very least, we want to keep an open mind. 1 Kings 18.21, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. You see, if you choose not to follow Jesus, that doesn't mean I hate you, of course. In fact, I actually pity you. Nevertheless, it is you who chooses not to follow. What we can't do is change the gospel to suit you or anyone else. There are many who would be happy to follow Jesus if he would just approve of what they want to do. But Jesus insists on division. Light and dark, life and death. Mark 8, 34 through 38, when he had called the people to himself, this is Jesus, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. We are indeed blessed to have seen the Savior. You opened our eyes for we were blind. You called us to rise up and walk, for we were lame. In fact, you lifted us up from death and gave us life and resurrection in him. Lord, as we celebrate today, tomorrow, as we gather with family and friends, as we sing and pray and eat and feast and delight in you and in one another, Lord, we are indeed grateful that we have seen the consolation of Israel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now receive this benediction from the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and his wonders among all the peoples. Amen.